Please be seated. Inside your bulletin, there's a little colour sheet like that. It's got a little What If logo up there. If I can get you to get that out for later on, that would be great. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you for all of your mercies in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, be with us now as we listen to your word and reflect on what it means to follow you. And Father, transform our lives, uh, this term for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder, have you ever asked yourself recently the question, what if? Um, It's a provocative question. What if I did this, or what if I thought that, or what if I'd done that? Um, Sometimes we can say this line with regret. I wonder if anyone had thought, what if I'd bought a property 20 months ago? We're currently looking at what we will do for retirement, and that's a thought that's gone through my mind. As you see, the prices go up week by week. What if? There are so many possibilities in how we can ask this simple yet profound question. What if I hadn't made that bad decision at work? What if? Uh, What if I hadn't said those words? What if? But it's also a powerful question to ask ourselves. It isn't just a question we ask of the past and have a sense of regret or guilt about, it's also a question you could ask about the future. And it unravels all sorts of possibilities. What if? What if I actually made a decision to do this and commit to it? Uh, What if I actually stopped this? What would happen in my life? For the next seven weeks, we're going to be on a journey asking ourselves... The question, what if? And applying it to different areas of our Christian and church life. And that's why I've got this little sheet here, because I actually want you to commit to thinking about your own life and making some decisions about something that you might seek to do or perhaps not do over the next seven weeks to assist you in growing. I'll come back to that. The genesis for this series was that after six years here at St. Matthew's, and it'll be six years come November at the end of the series, to my observation, there's been a number of issues that I've thought we just need to stop and address and ask ourselves about as we seek to grow to maturity in Christ. And while there are no doubt a range of maturities in the Christian faith here at St. Matthew's, you've got some very mature people uh, sitting before me. You've also got people who are very new to the Christian faith. You've got people who are just walking in and investigating the Christian faith. And all of them are welcome. We love the reality that we've got mature saints in the faith here at St. Matthew's. And we also love the fact at the other end that we've got people who may have just started coming and have just put their toe in the water to find out what is the Christian faith about. But in an age of apathy, what does it actually mean to be a disciple of Christ? In an age of options, what does it mean to actually say, I belong to St. Matthew's Church or any other church? 
in the area of ability, what does it mean to serve God? In a country of prosperity, what does it mean to be a steward of all that we've been blessed with? And it's worth saying Australia is incredibly prosperous on the world stage. In an atmosphere of spiritual relativity, what does it mean to be on mission? In an age of pragmatism, what does it mean to rely on God in prayer? And in a community that cries out for love and acceptance, what does it mean to be pastorally caring? Well, they're the seven topics that we're going to look at this term. And with each of these questions, I want us to ask the question, what if? What would my life be like? What would our lives be like? What would our church be like if we actually believed and not just believed, but practiced what the Bible actually taught? You see, the issue I think we have today, and look, I'm no different to anyone else here, uh, is this. Uh, There's a gap often between what we believe and what we actually practice in our Christian faith. Now, I don't know if you resonate with this, uh, but my observation of my own life and the lives of many is that often what we believe um, gets lost. And actually how we live is not driven by our belief from the Scripture. And there's so many pressures around us in the world today in terms of apathy, options, prosperity, spiritual relativity, the pragmatism, the needs of our world, that how we should live doesn't match up to our profession of faith. And in many ways, this series is all about examining the gap. What if we actually believe what the Bible teaches? I mean, deeply believed it. What would that mean for our lives practically day by day? Which begs the question, what do I actually believe about God? Does that really affect how I live when I get up every morning and go out the front door to face the day? Well, today I want to look at the most basic of questions, which is discipleship. And I'm going to speak shorter, hopefully. Uh, It's always a challenge for me, you know that. Because I've got someone I'm interviewing today uh, who's had his life radically changed from our 10 o'clock service. Let me ask the very most simple question. Do I actually believe Jesus and his message of the gospel? Because the message of the gospel is a very radical message at heart. It changes everything. It changes our identity, who we think we are. It changes our destiny, where we're heading in life. It changes our lifestyle, how we then live in this world. And what would our church look like if it was filled with passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, the passage I chose to reflect on today is the second reading, Mark chapter 8, which I think is probably, in a nutshell, one of the most basic and profound and succinct descriptions of what it means to be a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read to you from Mark chapter 8. I've got it up there on the screen, the key verses. Jesus said, And he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. What is this passage teaching? No doubt, this passage and the similar passages in Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel are the turning points of the Gospel story. It begins with a revelation of Jesus' identity. He's the one who will go and die and suffer and then rise again. And then he describes what it means to follow him. You could say it's the most basic description of discipleship. It's in essence a summary of what a Christian is. And I want us to think about it in terms of our identity because I think that profoundly affects us when we understand who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is teaching here that a Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ. This is our primary identity. And if you name the name of Jesus, this is who you are. But let me speak about myself. I'm not first and foremost a senior minister or a rector, to use the older language. I'm actually not first and foremost a father or a husband, though I love my wife and my children dearly. I'm not even primarily a fisherman, a surfer, or a cook, though I love all of them. I'm not even primarily an Australian citizen. As good as all of those identities are, first of all, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, we are followers first. And I think the trick is, and the trouble is in our world today, we so often define ourselves, often by our role. I'm a banker. I'm a lawyer. I'm a teacher. I'm retired. I'm a grey nomad. Rather than our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know we've got many retired people in front of us a great time of life but that's actually not your primary identity your profession is not your primary identity your giftedness is not your primary identity your relationships are not your primary identity apart from the relationship we have with the Lord Jesus Christ you see we are followers first and you see What Jesus is saying is this is what must define us. Because when we define ourselves other ways, it starts to affect how we see the world. And there's two things I want to bring out from this passage. The first is what Jesus is saying is you can't have a foot in two worlds. And I think the struggle for us in following Christ in this world is we often want to have a foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom of God. But when you listen to Jesus, the language is very black and white. If anyone would come after me, and he invites anyone, they must deny themselves. They must take up their cross and follow me. You see, you can either live for yourself or you can live for Jesus. You can either follow your own ways or you can follow the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can either try and hold on to your life as many people do, 
and wring as much of this world's excitement out of life, or you can let go and give your life to Jesus. You can either try and save yourself, or you can let Jesus save you. But here's the thing he says, you can either gain the whole world now, but note, lose your soul, or you can let go of your life and gain Jesus and find life with him now that goes on forever. See, there's no middle ground. You can't have a foot in both worlds. You are either not following the Lord Jesus Christ and living for yourself, or you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the captain of your ship. He is the master of your soul. He is the one you wake up to every morning and you say, here I am for duty. How can I serve you? Let me put it another way from Jesus' words. Being a Christian is a death-to-life experience, is what Jesus is saying. It's a death-to-life experience. Jesus says following him means we take up our cross. Now, crosses today are symbols of art, the jewellery that people wear around their necks. They're the furthest thing from what they were in the first century when Jesus spoke. They're an instrument of torture and death. I know you know this. And the language that he uses to take up a cross in Jesus' day was to take up a Roman crucifix. And you were to walk to your death if you took up a cross. And in the words of the well-known film with Sean Penn about a man on death row, you were a dead man walking. And you see, when you took up a cross, you took it and carried it to the place of your execution. And this is what Jesus is saying. Your old self has died when you start following him. You lose your life. It's dead. It's over. But, and here's the paradox, you actually find life in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, in other words, dies, will actually find life. And it's interesting, in Mark's gospel, it says they will save their life. In Matthew's gospel, it says they will find life. And you see, this is the paradox. But you see, there's a gap. We struggle to let go. of our lives and live for God. We believe in Jesus, but we also want the world at the same time. We know God's kingdom is what we should live for, and yet our hearts are divided. Our church is a good thing, but in reality it's an optional extra that we get to when we don't have things on. Uh, serving at church so often can be for the keen, uh, but often we will say, actually, I haven't got time for that. Uh, and as for my money... Uh, I know I should give something, but quite frankly, this tithing thing sounds completely ridiculous. Who on earth would do that? And so when I speak on that week, maybe you'll take the weekend away. And I know I should share my faith and support missions, but really it's a bit inconvenient. I don't want to be known as a God-botherer with my friends and colleagues. It might even affect my standing in the community. And prayer sounds good in theory, but in reality, I'm too busy to do it most of the time. <coughs> and love and pastoral care. Well, isn't that what you should do for me? You see, we struggle. 
And I think this is the struggle of the Christian faith. Uh, we know what the Bible says, but actually it's putting it into practice where the struggle begins. But listen to Jesus' words. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Just think about that. If we hold on to our life and try and live it in our own strength as the captain of our own soul, Jesus is very clear we will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. We'll find life. You see, this was my great struggle in becoming a Christian. I thought my life would be over if I gave my life to Jesus. I was half right, but I was profoundly half wrong. You see, I was half right because, you see, my old life would be over. The alcohol, parties, the carousing, the pornography, all gone. And it needed to go. But the wonderful joy was I found life. I found joy. I found meaning and purpose in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Think with me about iPhones. Now, iPhones are wonderful. I've got one here. It's helping me stay on time for the sermon. It does all sorts of wonderful things. You know, with your iPhone, uh, you can call people, you can text people, you can video conference, you can know the weather, you can create shopping lists from recipes I can get with a swirl of a few keystrokes from my taste application when I'm in Coles. I think, well, what do we have tonight? Recipes with me in just 10 seconds. I can know the surfing conditions. I can know the offshore weather temperature. I can read the latest fishing blog. I can do all sorts of things. I can read a book on it. I can catch up on the news. And even when I've got time, I can study the Bible. I've even got a Greek New Testament here on there with dictionaries attached. It is incredible, but the name of the iPhone says it all. You see, we live in the I world. And I think this is the deep struggle we have when it comes to discipleship. You see, the world we live in is all about me. And the iPhone sums it up. It's the I world. And Jesus says, actually, becoming a disciple means completely letting go of that. And it becomes the Jesus world and the other person's world, the you world. You see, how does Jesus sum up what it means to live as a disciple? Love the Lord your God with all your strength, heart, mind and soul and love others as yourself. If you think what I'm saying is a bit extreme... Listen to this verse. Paul says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Friends, Jesus is saying to us, the call of the gospel is that we cannot have a foot in two worlds, either in this world or it's the kingdom of God. And moving from one world to the other is a death for life experience. I'm going to get up this morning, uh, a friend, 
from our 10 o'clock congregation. He's been coming for a few years. He's a local Manly resident. His name is Pete Richards. Can I get you to welcome Pete Richards? He's going to come and share his story. Morning, Pete. It's on? It's on. Can yes, you hear me? Yeah. Oh, you can cool. hear. Okay. This is good. Now, I got to know Pete because Pete's a surfer, okay? But he's far more than that. Uh, so thanks for coming to share us. But before we start and explore how God's been at work in your life, just tell us a bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Western Australia uh, on a small property, sort of uh, 200 miles, what is it, uh, east, southeast of, uh, of Perth. Uh, Mum and Dad. Uh, it was, um, and we travelled backwards and forwards between Western Australia and New South Wales um, looking after my uh, grandmother's guest house. Uh, at Collaroy, so that's where that's my love... That's a long trip, Pete. Yeah, and it was really, really, it was so cool sitting on the, you know, in the back of a uh, Dodge DeSoto with, um, on a box of oranges and ending up with um, uh, vitamin C overload. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. Okay, now what are your hobbies? Uh, I'm passionate. I've, I'm, I sort of, I love, I love the Bible, I love God. Um, and then, then other things sort of fit in, um, my love for uh, surfing, uh, my love for Photoshop, uh, Illustrator, Adobe products. Um, I did a lot with them in the early eight, 90s. Okay, because you're a designer. Yep, yep. Fantastic. Yep. We're going to come to that. So hobbies, uh, what about married? Uh, yes, I have a beautiful wife and we have uh, five children between us. So um, we're yeah, they all left and then they all decided that they liked us and came back and lived with us for a while. So you can't get rid of them. I don't know. <laughs> now, how, just tell us a bit about your work background. Um, I worked for 20 years. Uh, I'm a qualified designer, but I worked for 20 years for the Fairfax Group um, in all the mastheads, which are the Sun Herald, the AFR, Australian Financial Review, and the Sydney Morning Herald as a uh, designer, IT specialist, um, art director... Uh, graphic designer, photo illustrator, yeah, all sorts of things. I was, I was blessed. God, yeah, he really worked in my, my life to give me the opportunity to do these things. Okay, fantastic. Now, you didn't grow up as a Christian. Uh, um, when did your Christian journey and faith begin? Um, for most of my life, I had my head stuck firmly in, in, um, in the dark, dark side. I had my back to, to God. Um, and then I, I just, I started to get a thirst. There was something missing in my life, which, which I couldn't feel. Um, I don't know what it was. I couldn't, couldn't work out why. But I started talking to our sports editor on the Sun Herald when I was the art director there. And uh, he was a, um, a Greek Orthodox guy. And he took me through the Old Testament, um, which is a great, a great way to start. Um, a lot of the younger um, uh, people in the world sort of start off with the New Testament. I was fortunate enough to start off in the Old Testament and really get a grounding in, in, in who God was and his character. And so we, um, we went sort of through that each Friday afternoon. We'd sit down, uh, we'd lay out the sports pages for the Saturday, for the Sunday edition sort of thing. And um, and it was great. So I was, I was working and I was getting, getting fed, um, which was really, really cool. Then he said, look, that's as far as I can really sort of help you here. Um, you really need to go and see a friend of mine 
Dominic Steele, who ran Christians in the Media. And Dominic and I got along. Um, we just clicked. And so he said, right, okay, we'll do get you organised. Um, we did seven steps and a whole heap of other things to, to introduce me to who God was and who Jesus was. Um, and then he said, well, you're an illustrator, you're a, you're a designer, why don't you do illustrations of my sermons? Um, which was a pretty brave step, I must say. Um, <clears throat> Bible's full of very interesting imagery. So he gave me the opportunity to uh, read the Bible every week and come up with ideas that, were, um, that weren't just uh, an illustration of what he was going to talk about, but the feeling, a, a, a translation. And um, then he gave me the opportunity to, uh, to do the cover of Introducing God, the coffee cup and um, the black coffee. And there's, I could go on forever talking about why it's a black coffee, but if you're interested, talk to me about it. <laughs> what was your Christian life back, like back then? Um, it, was, it was God and church on my terms. Um, as Bruce said, foot in both camps. You know, yep, I'll, oh yeah, it's Sunday, I'll go to church. That's fine, that's cool. Oh, I've got a board comp. No, sorry, can't do church. Don't want to think about God. I'm going surfing. And so it really wasn't... Um, I wasn't committed. I, it was, um, um, I think there's a, there's a description of, of being a patron of Christ or being a subscriber. I was a patron, it was on my terms. As a subscriber, it's about what you can do, uh, how you can actually um, work with and, and, and make sure that, that you are actually committed to Christ, that you're, you're growing, you're maturing, you're not just sitting around. Yeah. Your life is very different today from back then. Oh, yeah. What happened? Um, in 2006, I had a, um, a total occlusion of the right coronary artery. Um, What's that in layman's terms? <laughs> um, it's a complete blockage of the vein, the main vein that, that leads to your heart. So there was no blood actually getting to my heart at all. Um, so I was... And how uh, old were you? Um, I don't know, uh, 52. 52. Yeah, 52. So my father died of heart disease, but you know, I was bulletproof. I was 52, hey. I'm 50. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you suddenly realise that you're not, you're not 16 anymore or 18. Um, yeah, I, I, was, I was really in a bad way. Um, I yeah, la- you collapsed at your home in your office. Yeah, yeah. And what happened? Um, I lay on the floor. Um, I was downstairs um, and I lay on the floor and the cat and the dog lay opposite me looking at me um, basically saying goodbye. Um, my wife was a school teacher at that stage and we, um, on a Friday afternoon she would have a couple of drinks with the girls and then, and then come home. Um, so she wasn't home when I was having this. Um, she walked in the door um, freaked um we got to the hospital and um everything moves when things like this happen to you everything moves really really quickly and you get disconnected to what's going on they did a whole heap of tests and they were all bad basically um and there's there's a you're up at manly hospital and you yeah manly a nurse saying something oh yeah um, she was on the phone, and I'm getting one side of the conversation. She's on the phone, and she's saying, 
Um, no, he's not going to. He's not going to make that. And I'm thinking, not going to make what? You know, are they talking about me or the, the ambulance or whatever? And what I hadn't realised was that there wasn't any ambulances available. The nearest one was at Avalon, and that was an hour away. And I wasn't going to live that long. Plain and simple. You know, I was dead. Um, dead man walking. Yeah, I wasn't walking. I was just lying there. And so, as God would have it, he, he bang, suddenly there was a, um, an ambulance available. Um, we went to Royal North Shore. The theatre and everything were all ready. Um, I was in and out. And I suddenly, I, to me, I had no control over my situation. I was not in control. Whereas prior to this, you know, my life was my life. You know, I gave a little bit to God and, and that, but I controlled most of it. I had my hands on the steering wheel. I wasn't going to get God in the steering, you know, have him driving the car. That wasn't going to happen. So, yeah, I was, um, I was saved. Not through anything that I did. And that sort of shocked me, I think. Now, what happened... Uh, you almost died. Yep. What, what impact did that have on you and your faith? Um, oh, wow. I, Just in a minute. Yeah. Um, it turned my world upside down. Uh, it turned our world upside down. Um, we both retired um, because the work that we, we were hoping we'd be able to do um, was uh, getting in the road of uh, the work that we, we wanted to do with God. Um, so we said, right, okay, that's it. Um, I became um, I became fully engrossed and fully committed to actually working with Christ and listening to what he, he says in the Bible. Um, it was no longer a spectator sport. I was actively involved. And, and that just, yeah, it just, it just changed me as far as wanting to put him first and him number one. Um, and through my heart attack, he, he took me by the hand and said, okay, I am supposed to be up here and you've got me down here and you keep on bumping me down. Whenever you've got a worldly thing that you want to hang on to, you go click, click, I end up down the bottom. That's not going to happen. I can take your life like that or I can give it back to you. What do you want to do? And so that was pretty easy for me to turn around and say, no, nah, I want my life back. And, um, and yes, basically, I want to be with, with you and do your, your, your work. Have, what are you involved in these days? Um, <clears throat> 2009, we started with the Year 13 Gap Year program. Um, with Youth Works? With Youth Works. Um, we take um, students from Australia to... Uh, to Fiji, and we spend um, we spend two months over there. The, the students come over for one month. We take them to villages, and uh, they do a lot of. Um, they're not tourists over there. There's a little saying that we have: um, "Without God, we're just tourists," um, which is a little bit rude, but it, but it's kind of what we want to try to get the students involved in. They see underneath uh, Fiji tourism. They get to go to. Um, uh, orphanages, they get to go to um, uh, women's refuge, prisons, and they get a week. Um, Vinnie and I are greedy. We get two village um, visits, but they only get one. 
And um, so that's, that's part of that. Um, because of what we're doing in Fiji, we felt that we needed to know more about God's character, more about exactly what it is to be a Christian and how to tell that story to others. So we started at Moore College doing a, um, um, a diploma in Bible and ministry. Um, I sat in an exam some years ago, um, 2011, and it's the first exam that I've sat in since 1972, and it scared me to death. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, um, it was, it's great. It's great to to be filled to to have, you know, um, a, a, a thirst quenched. That's constantly being quenched sorry. we're going to have to finish up yes yeah, oh, i can tell you could sit up here for a long time sharing uh, and i just say it is wonderful to see how god's been at work in your life and he literally has saved you from death yeah. and brought you to life yeah. in christ yeah it's exciting being a christian is the most exciting thing you can do yeah Fantastic. sorry that's all right no don't <laughs> apologize anyway can i get you to thank peter for coming this morning thank you I'm going to finish up. What I want you to do is take this little piece of paper. And I want you to write on there, and you may not do it this second. You may want to go home and reflect. If you were to change one, maybe two things in your life, and you made a decision, you said, what if I actually decided to? What would it be to grow in your faith? I want you to write it out. And put in your Bible and pray that through every day for the next seven weeks. What if? Now you need to complete the sentence, don't you? Because I don't know your life. I know the things that I want to write down. And I'd encourage you to talk to someone who is close to you about what you've written down and pray about it together. But let's together go on a journey of spiritual adventure. I pray we don't need a heart attack to wake us up to the reality that God needs to be number one. Let us pray. Father, thank you for all your blessings in the Lord Jesus. May we live wholly and solely for him. And we thank you for the joy that is there when we do that. In Jesus' name, amen.